What's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the meaning! I had to do an extra long one for all the episodes I've missed. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Well, it was much appreciated. Thank you for having me. I'm glad that we could make this happen. <laughs> dude, for me a too. Mike day. I know, dude. <laughs> oh, I've, been, I've been looking forward to this all day. I want to say we... Yeah, me too. Uh, uh, we've been talking about Mike since, like, the first episodes, I want to say. we've never actually just decided, let's just do a Takashi Mike movie, but today we're doing it. I mean, because... Uh, Let's face it. This is for a very niche audience, you know. This is a very, like, very, very the, niche audience. If you're, yeah, if you're listening people. to this right now, for the ten people who are yeah. aware of this movie, you guys are the true warriors. Well, of no, cinema. I think of his filmography, this is one of the more well-known. Yes. This, this is an easy to kill. killer. Yeah, this is the most famous. one. Yeah. So, but still, it's like there's about a hundred people that like <laughs> Mike movies, and then you know about seven to ten people that like each other one. This has about a good fifty people. I mean, he's audience. legitimately big in Japan, from what I know. Like he's, oh, yeah. he's not art house in Japan or super obscure, but among among Westerners, sure. Like right. not a lot of people know about him. Well, yeah. But anyway, today we're talking about Audition, the nineteen ninety nine film directed by Takashi Mike, starring Ryo Ishibashi and Ihishina. I'm sure I fucked both of those up. But as always, we're gonna go around and get first impressions. Before that, I, I want to say I'm so happy that you're you guys are here and we're talking about this movie. Yeah, me too. Um, I just love this movie so much. Ryan, tell me about do you remember the first time you saw this movie, and what was it like revisiting it? I I don't honestly I I don't remember exactly. Were we together? Did we watch? No, this I saw this for the first time in college before I knew you. Okay, well then I I I watched this relatively later on, and uh, after I'd seen a bunch of Mike movies, so I kind of was expecting more Ichi the Killer because that's kind of the <laughs> first one I'd gotten exposed to. So when I, then audition is way more of a slow burn at the beginning. It it it, it so at the beginning I didn't really like it as much you know and i don't think i gave it as much time as i should have and but now i love this movie so much it's so amazing and it really just proves how versatile of a filmmaker he is i mean he's so weird all of his movies are so bizarre and they take left turns you know a big twist but like this movie like really lulls you in it's kind of a troll of a movie like kind of like dead or alive yes you know and that's like he's the one filmmaker i feel like that does that and gets away with it some gets away with it you know he uh uh you haven't seen dead or alive i mean no, spoiler alert if you uh don't listen to this if you haven't seen it but i mean that that is a troll movie you know yeah a, 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 I kinda ending, wanna, we'll get into it i, I want to kind of want to make a movie about troll auteurs <laughs> yeah takashi Mike, <laughs> lars von trier gasper no gasper no yeah who, are, who else are uh, uh there's the solo guy uh kind Pasolini. of uh, uh abel ferrara maybe um, the C- Cannibal Corpse guy. Oh, you mean Cannibal Holocaust? Can- Cannibal Ho- Holocaust. Yeah. I won't watch that <laughs> movie. Cannibal Corpse. Anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I love this movie uh, uh, for 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 the fact that it does that. It lulls you in, and then it just it blows you away at the end with the end. <laughs> oh, That's yeah. all I'll say. And uh, you'll get into the recap, I'm sure. Yeah. And yeah, this yeah. movie's great. All right, Tommy, what do you think about this movie? Yeah, no, I I love this movie too. Yes, uh, yeah. Because last we're all time you were here, united. we were not all on the same no, 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 no. consensus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this movie's great. Uh, yeah, and I saw this movie pretty soon after it came out. This is actually my brother's favorite movie, or one of his favorite wow. movies. Wow, one of his top he, three. Yeah, so what's he wrong was. With your brother? I know, <laughs> he was obsessed with Takashi Meek, and he would like watch Ichi the Killer, Audition, Dead or Alive. So he has like the whole box out of this. So I remember watching it with him. I think. 
Uh, and now watching it again, I, I'm blown away even more. Honestly, I got Fuck totally, yeah. I got totally new things watching it this second time versus now. I think if you had asked me before Saturday or what I thought this movie was about, I would have said, "Oh, it's the movie where some guy gets his, you know, foot sawed off by a piano <laughs> wire by some crazy chick." And now I'm thinking, uh, "Oh, this is a movie about this dick who deserved far worse what? than getting his leg chopped off via piano wire." I'm way on her side. I'm, I'm so on I'm, her side now. <laughs> it is uh yeah there's definitely definitely in the contemporary cultural context watching this movie today definitely i, I was yeah. watching it like huh <laughs> yeah watching this the new lens is kind of a different experience it is about um, a crazy person <laughs> <laughs> she's right she, it's a crazy system and oh, she's being fucked over by it well uh i love this movie so much and i'm so glad that you said that it was a troll of a movie because i feel like when most people talk about this movie, they talk about the fact that it's very disturbing, that there are some really graphic images and graphic torture scenes that leave an imprint on people's minds. But it really does, like, there's this aesthetic of cruelty that we'll talk about that I feel like he's really, it's it's a very, very, like, if, if we were to say this movie's a dark comedy, which I think that you could say it is, it's one of the most subtle and probably darkest of all comedies I can Michael think of. Michael level? Michael level dark comedy. Absolutely. Let's just make this podcast the citing obscure movies that not a lot of people are, are aware of. I we, I talked about Michael. Tommy, he knows what I'm talking about. I bet Henneke up on the troll mm -hmm. filmmakers. I mean, funny yeah. games. Definitely. Yeah. yeah definitely. Uh, so I rewatched this movie on Saturday, and dude, I was a pig in shit. I loved it so much. I was. I, I that just... means he liked it, folks. <laughs> people know that that means people liked it. I know. I'm just, Pigs like shit. Just a funny saying. Uh, yeah, I was in love with this movie. It's probably one of the the best film screenings I've had in a while. I just yeah. love, 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 love this movie. Anyway, we'll get into the specifics. Let's go into a recap. So, widowed film producer Aoyama is feeling lonely, so he and his business partner decide to stage an audition for a fake movie in order to find him a suitable wife. Of all the young female applicants, one stands out, the quiet, shy, thoughtful, and beautiful Asami Yamazaki. Despite some odd uncertainties about her background, Aoyama dives fully into courting Asami and bringing her on a fantasy weekend getaway, but when he wakes up in the morning, she's gone. Feeling like he got played, Aoyama explores the seedy underbelly of Japan trying to find her, unearthing narratives of murder, disembodiment, and decapitation surrounding her whereabouts. Aoyama returns home, pours himself a drink, and collapses onto the ground. In his fugue dream state, it's revealed that Asami was abused as a child and has been mutilating and torturing men in extreme ways. Her last victim was a record producer. Back in the now, Asami enters the room and starts torturing Aoyama, citing how people in entertainment manipulate and take advantage of women and how she wants him to only love her. Aoyama's son comes back in the middle of her cutting off his feet and he kicks her down the stairs, breaking her neck. End of movie. Hey, all you true crime fans. This is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morph. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. <laughs> So do, do you uh, uh, sympathize with 
uh, Kevin Spacey in Seven <laughs> for, for punishing one person for the sins of, of society. He is the worst, honestly. He's the worst in this movie. He auditions all these women just so he can make sure who he has the nicest one. Yeah, that's and shitty. In the, and then the fugue state, if you go to it, he is like fantasizing off, off all these different women. Like it, it culminates in him fantasizing off but his own um, son's, son's girlfriend. girlfriend. Yeah. So he's just as fucked up as everybody hey, else. Well, he that's just what, hides it better. Put, that's put, the put in perspective, he's gone through a lot with his wife who <laughs> went through cancer. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's in a fucked up state of mind. But yes, I agree with you. Fucked up. Did it deserve it realize what he got? I, did, I just remembered I didn't even introduce everybody. So we got Ryan back. What so, up? What up? And we got Tommy. Hello? Hello. Anyway, yeah, I mean, God, I just... Mike, nobody's got balls like him. Nobody. Uh, the only filmmaker who will intercut a woman sawing off a man's foot with a paraplegic pedophile ballet teacher jerking off. You know, it's like... <laughs> that is it. That is <laughs> juxtaposition, baby. Yeah. So you guys both, upon watching this movie for this podcast, it was at least your second time seeing it, right? Yeah. Yes. So when you watched it for the second time, did it strike you as funny because you could see how he was baiting you with this kind of feel-good lifetime aesthetic, and you just knew that it was going to eventually go to the darkest shit ever. Yes. Yeah. Basically. See, I, th I found it really sad. For like the first two thirds of this movie, like I would like it, it's a lot of static one shots of people in the distance, uh, oftentimes having dinner, but seemingly alone but together. I just felt very sad about everything that was happening. I didn't really, really? laugh very much, oh, or, or no, I didn't even think that. I didn't even have the sort of the comic sort of thoughts. Mm. I uh, so well, let's talk about what I'm calling the aesthetic of cruelty, <laughs> because. Let's first talk about genre, because I feel like something that the Japanese do that I've never seen in an American movie is not only will they do strong tonal shifts, but I would argue mm -hmm. this movie even shifts in genre about midway through. Oh, yeah. Because mm -hmm. the first half of the movie is like a heartfelt rom-com, and then the second half is an extremely depraved psychological horror film. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys seen uh, uh, In the Company of Men? Have we talked about that movie? Yeah, yeah. Wait, who's in that? That's um, with uh, Aaron Eckhart. Yeah. Um, it's a Neil Boot well, movie. What's the plot of that movie again? That's where these two guys make oh. a bet about who can like woo this woman. I can't, is she deaf in the movie? I can't remember something what. Something like She's that. She's something like that. And so they make a bet who can like eat like Aaron Eckhart's this playboy. The other guy is sort of a schlubby looking guy, but he supposedly has personality. And so they mm. compete like who wins the looks or the personality gotcha. versus this. I, I know versus of this it, movie. It, it, it definitely like the beginning of it reminded me of that kind of like two sleep. Mm. Easy guys, yep. like kind of like some eighties, uh, uh, yeah, rom com where you're like watching two guys come up with this scheme, this high concept scheme to you know find a, a you know a woman, and and then yeah, it, it takes a, do a nosedive <laughs> in a way only Mike could do, and then uh, yeah, it makes this what, what did you call it a depraved psychological a horror, horror film? film. <laughs> yeah, extremely exactly. Depraved. And so the opening scene in the hospital is. It, is that like a different film stock than the rest of the movie? Or no, he doesn't shoot on film. He only does digital. But I felt like that in particular was shot like a soap opera. I don't know. It seemed like... There's like shafts of light and sunlight. It's yeah. definitely very like overexposed, especially for the rest of the movie. Which yeah, and I was trying to darker. figure out if how, if he was playing with genre to make it seem like some sort of a daytime soap opera-y thing. And, and, and that's... 
kind of another one of the troll elements is because when you think of it through that lens, you're like, wait, is he actually taking the death of this character seriously? Or is this just all part of the ultimate troll <laughs> of trying to bait you into this serene family setting only to completely fuck your mind in the second half of the movie? I think that he has a very warped view on life. and But he but – he, that's what's so cool about him is that he uh, – you can tell he takes his characters really seriously, you know, like like these they're presented pretty normally and 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 they have psychological issues and and you're getting into their heads. Yeah. And then uh, uh and then at the very but then he just sprinkles it in with this imagery of like, you know, the fucking uncle jerking it off with the fucking weird <laughs> Frankenstein feet, you know, like yeah. where did those Frankenstein feet come from? That has just ha has to come from him getting together with the production di designer going, "All right, I want this weird fucking uh <laughs> shit you know monsters feet yeah so even the music during the audition it's like so pleasant and like easy listening right and then Aoyama's son uh, his son's girlfriend is so bubbly so positive so attractive ideal his son is socially academically and romantically successful Aoyama owns his own company like we really are seeing now, I want to call it the American dream, but it's more the Japanese dream, you know? <laughs> and I feel like because we're a little we're uh, culturally a degree separated from the movie, if this was made in America, I don't I, 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 I keep asking myself, would this be almost like too on the nose successful? Would it almost be like a Patrick Bateman scenario where what we're seeing is a real person, but the guy is just so successful and everything about his life other than his wife dying, of course, is just so sunny and so ideal that. When I watched it this time, I was like, oh, okay, he's propping up this impossibly idealized image only to tear it down horrifically in the second half. But I think, though, his wife dying dying is a big part of it, you know? Like, I, he's supposed to be a broken man, you yeah. know? Like, and, 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 if, and if you remember, he only starts doing this because his kid wants him to do it. It's his kid's fault <laughs> that he got his fucking uh, foot sawed off. He's like, you should go find a, a, kid, a woman, a wife, you know? Okay. But, like, but the thought is that he goes about this in probably the her most horrific and awful way possible. Like, who, who goes out and is like, oh, the best yeah. way to get a woman is through this audition of 12 different other women. See, I don't know. 30 different I, I, It was I, his friend's I, idea. Well, first of all, it's his friend's <laughs> idea. Second of all, I think it's probably more common than you think. And, and third of all... <laughs> wait, wait, so it lets him off the hook because no, it's it his doesn't. friend's no. idea? No, 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 no. Once he made the decision, he's on the hook for it. I actually, Yeah, I don't know, man. In 1999, I don't think that there was like the common social vitriol against things like that that there well, is, is this, today. Is this a parable about how men parade through 30 women to choose the one sort of pure girl? amongst them and then they get to wed them and bed them as their own I mean they talk a lot about how you know he's looking for the perfect woman one that's obedient they repeat oh, that yeah, over yeah, yeah. and over again the need for a woman but to be obedient but that's like, part of the joke is, like yeah. she also plays into this male fantasy to the point where it is hilarious but like, she won't be obedient that's, oh, well, that's her by great the second, sin by yeah. the second half but that's why the movie so brilliantly kind of lampoons yeah. this male fantasy mm -hmm. wouldn't you say though that it also has this very tragic element to it like a tragic soap opera kind of thing where she's killing him basically because she thinks he's only using her for sex but really he's in love with her right and so she won the audition but she thinks that she just was like the sloppy seconds for the audition so it's this whole like wait a minute while he's getting his foot sawed off he's like wait but I love you I really do love you that's what it should have happened you know but like really too late you're you know she's a psycho and, and already uh uh 
sawed the foot off. They could have fell in love is what I'm saying. <laughs> but here's my question, because we flash back to that bed scene later in the movie when he's in his fugue state, and we see it play out where she's like, they sleep together, and then she's like, so about that proposal? And he's like, oh, boy, I don't know about it anymore. And like that's what mo- actually motivates her to leave and get really pissed off at him. The proposal? Yeah. Oh, wasn't see, she talking so, about, wasn't he talk, she talking about the movie, though? No, no, she's talking about like now that she's bed him, you know, can they be together for for forever now? See, I, I thought I, really? I saw then, that whole scene uh-huh. as a troll. As a troll, okay. I thought that it See, was as if to, it was baiting the audience again to think that for a good five minutes he takes his time with that yeah. scene. That everything deranged we just saw was a dream, <laughs> but then I guess we're meant to believe that's just kind of a pain induced delusion, uh, and and that's just more of the comedy. So with the knowledge of the dream. Imagine you just had this dream of this woman who's next to you in bed cuts off both your feet and like puts needles in your fucking eyes and then she says, "Yes, I will marry you." I mean, that's a hilarious situation. I really think he just put it there to it's just cruelty, pure yeah, dark comedy cruelty. It's not meant to indicate anything that actually happened. Yeah, I mean, I when you're breaking down what is going on in that kind of psychedelic like like when when people are changing in the memories and stuff, she's becoming like her her, her herself as a seven-year-old like like spanking the 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 dude eating from the dog bowl and stuff i mean yeah so so you think that that is just literally an editing troll like he's just like taking this kind of psychedelic imagery that we kind of know about and and just and throwing in all the images of the movie into a pot or do you not or do you think it makes sense if you really broke it down well i think we are supposed to believe that that really did happen that she's got that guy in the bag who yes who eats her barf <laughs> yes <laughs> that would be my argument for the bed scene being something that actually happened because i think everything else we see in the psychedelic run actually does happen just in the past and in other sort of various areas i, I see that i can see the reading so then it gives motivation for the fact that she's so angry because after he had sex with her he yeah. kind of said oh maybe yeah. i don't want but when and then when she up- leaves when she leaves then he's like oh oh i actually do want her i want the woman who's not here anymore it's that kind of thing yeah but when he wakes up and she's gone or i'm sorry when so during that scene toward the end when uh, you know he's in the middle of getting tortured and he wakes up, mm-hmm. he he's reacting to the fact that he just had this dream of him being tortured. Yeah, there, a, there is a muddiness a, to yeah. it. Um, but, I mean, I would argue that— <laughs> Well, like, came first, the dream or the act. I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> it's one of those there's things. like some circular yeah, there's like time travel there. There's like a circular time travel there. <laughs> I mean, the way I'm interpreting it is just after the shift— you know, we go from once again just a pretty straightforward rom com, like narr- like straightforward narrative to where temporality, the division between <laughs> real and delusion, identities, all that just goes to shit, just thrown out the window. You know, and that, that and time periods changing indiscriminately, um, aesthetics so, changing, aesthetics change. That's one of my favorite parts of the movie is that. So after she leaves, the point where after she leaves, it becomes a totally different movie. The uh, the camera is handheld and shaky. It starts breaking the 180 degree rule like crazy in that scene when he's telling his partner what happened. You can't even tell if it's day or night. One one window in the background, it's night and another one, it's day. There are way wider lenses now. There are a bunch of canted angles. He starts exploring like decrepit buildings where whereas before it was all like, you know, upper class Japanese lodgings and business buildings. And the color changes, 
it goes like these really stark blues and these really stark oranges. It turns into a horror movie, and it's just <laughs> so I don't. I just that joke to bait an audience because I used to do this thing in college with this movie. I would actually I convinced my neighbors to watch this movie, and I told them <laughs> the premise of it, and I didn't lie. I said, "Yeah, this movie's about a guy who his wife died from cancer. He's lonely. He's a film producer, so he comes up with this idea to audition a bunch of women for a fake movie role." In the, but his real goal is to find a wife, and they're like, "Oh, you know, that's kind of cute." And then, <laughs> and then, bam! You son of a bitch! That's right. See, that's why I like this movie so much. That's my kind of humor—just sheer cruelty. <laughs> what was their reaction? <laughs> Fuck you, man! <laughs> you know that this thing. Exactly. This thing I'm talking about with the the shift in the middle of the movie, have you guys ever heard this movie likened to Vertigo? I guess, yeah. Well, I, I had actually heard about that. Trying to create your yeah. perfect woman. Well, uh, in that Vertigo is similarly, it's cut in half stylistically in that once the whole sequence happens with the, she fakes her death or whatever, and yeah. then he tries to find her for the second half of the movie, and the, the camera angles... I haven't seen Vertigo in a while, but I think that like things get a little bit more like weird Hitchcockian for yeah, the second half definitely. of the movie. And um, so there's actually a whole article I read that was likening Vertigo to this movie, and it actually made some pretty interesting points. If you guys haven't seen Vertigo, it's probably one of Hitchcock's most, maybe not his most famous movies, because I think one of his, his most famous one is Psycho. But I think this is probably one of his most critically revered movies. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's this like BFI awesome. number one movie of all time or something like that. I think it's his best movie. I yeah. think so too. So in both movies, the male protagonist experiences. Uh, sorry, this is from an article called on in Film International. It's an article by Robin Wood called "Revenge is Sweet: The Bitterness of Audition." And so in this, the both the male protagonists experience profound shock when changes in their whole way of life. So in the case of Aoyama, it's the death of his wife. In the case of uh, the guy in Vertigo, it was the rooftop accident. Uh, in both cases, this is experienced by a sense of loss that has to be recuperated, whether swiftly or after a long period of dormant social life, basically. Uh, both male protagonists are uh, waiting for something to happen. So Scotty's the name of the character. After the opening accident lacks social definition, he's ready to wander in search of something undefined that will give him a sense of selfhood. Aoyama's aspirations are less romantic, but he has this placid home life and apparently more or less routine work leave him dissatisfied and uneasy, and so he wants to seek something out. Then there's the female protagonist, who in both cases are not what they seem. Madeline is a construct. Asami is the is not the sweet, helpless, passive, gentle little creature. There's the alternative partner. So in both films, the male protagonist is offered a choice. So in in Vertigo, it's Midge, and then in Secretary, I mean, sorry, in Audition, it's the Secretary. Uh, Secretariat? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, there's a couple other things, but I, I always found this as, like, the super perverse Vertigo. I thought I always liked that <laughs> as Mike taking Vertigo and just, like, you know, making it just as deranged as he possibly could. I always quite liked that description of the movie. I love that. I, I, I actually could even, I would extrapolate that to his whole career. I would say he's a deranged Hitchcock, you know, because he, he really does take the medium and uses it to its full potential. Yeah. He can make a movie for $10,000 or for, you know, $10 million and do something that you've never seen before. 
and you know he knows how to fuck with an audience. I mean, but he's way more diverse than Hitchcock. I mean, Hitchcock made thrillers. No, but Hitchcock. W- w- I'm not w- saying that he was bad. I mean, no, he, I, I would say Hitchcock was very diverse. Like every one of his movies had like. Was, I mean, I mean, Hitchcock made you know war films. He made you know he had he themes made that would run through I mean, it, yeah. and he'd have like certainly different tropes and stuff. But yeah, he made a I bunch mean, of Topaz, different stuff. Yeah, Topaz and like you know uh, the Trouble with mm. Harry. Those are those are different type of Hitchcock type films. But yeah, yeah I guess predominant. I mean, I, I feel like you know Hitchcock did make 104 different movies. So <laughs> obviously, you know, Topaz <laughs> has like a. He made a lot. Though. He did make a lot. He did yeah. make a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you mentioned something earlier about the wide shots in the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. and to, I was having a hard time dealing with that because, at the one hand, I, I wanted to say that this movie for the first half is just like a straight up rom com, but it seems like it doesn't really dive feet first in the rom com aesthetic, and there are a lot of like wide shots that keep us at a distance from the soap opera tone. It kind of creates this dissonance from what we would normally expect. So, like, when they start dating, they're getting closer. Uh, the camera angles start to get a little unconventional. They start to get higher than the actor's perspective, and they're, like, framing him too close to the edge of the frame. Yeah, that's it's- why I have trouble with sort of the rom-com half. Like, I like I watch it this time, and I'm like, when is something horrible going to happen? Like, I could see, like, every shot was set up for this tragedy that was yeah. like, unfolding it later kinda, on. It, it kind of is teasing you, like, something yeah. is wrong. Something's wrong here, yeah. And I, I that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> he builds dread. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's also parts, I guess, in the second half where the camera is, like, handheld, moving through corridors in a first-person perspective, which is crazy (laughs) (laughs) Um, my my favorite movie of his Visitor Q which we brought mm, up several times that's your favorite yeah that's my number one of his have you seen that one I have It's that's a tough sit that's probably (laughs) his most fucked up movie movie. yeah it's it's a fucked up movie but it also does it has a bunch of similar qualities to this where it's going between handheld and and super digital blown out exposed digital like Seem I, I, you said he doesn't shoot film. I thought there was some film. But I, I read know. in an interview today when I was preparing for this podcast that he says that he doesn't shoot on film because film looks too good and he doesn't want his stuff to look, quote, refined. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is the primary thing I should make, but. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, Visitor Q, I feel like, does a lot of the same aesthetic stuff. Go watch Visitor Q. It's Oh, man, it's I feel like lot. you got to mm, give up. Yeah. you gotta get, you got to ease into that, I think. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, or I won't even say with the open. Yeah, scene that that movie yeah. is. <laughs> or the last scene of that movie. <laughs> I don't. I don't remember what the last scene is, but uh, whatever. Okay. Um, <laughs> one other aesthetic thing that I thought was interesting, just more of this like cruelty thing, is the way that the sound of the dog. Have you noticed that like the microphone is so close to the dog throughout the movie? Every time that the dog shows up, that you can hear his breathing and his every movement. Like you can hear just like his his bones moving against his fur, as if to like. Similar to basically what he's doing aesthetically through the whole movie. It's kind of and also he's making all these like weeping puppy noises that usually if the if we're to believe that the microphone is somewhere near the camera, you wouldn't otherwise hear. But everything is just like, all right, I'm going to, you know, play up the cuteness of this dog so that by the time the second half of the movie comes and the dog fucking gets murdered, it's going to be extra hurtful. How, how much did you love that scene, Jared? Let's go uh, from one to ten. I mean, you know, you know me. I'm... <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty critical when the dog dies, but I kind of think it was done in a pretty. It, I was Artful fine with way. it because it was undermining the wholesomeness. It didn't do it to pull at your heartstrings. That's what really gets me when the dog dies and it's meant to pull at your heartstrings. Mm-hmm. 
and also when dogs are not depicted as disposable. I felt like if I was just in the mindset where I was like, all right, I see what Mike is doing. This is p- part of him undermining wholesomeness, so I'm okay with it. Uh, as, as you brought up the audio uh, design. Like, There's a bunch of cool audio stuff that he he does that in a lot of his movies, but like m- notable ones were uh, when he's talking on the phone in the rain and it just cuts to outside in the rain and it's just like, all muffled and it's just super rainy mm-hmm. you know like uh, or uh, I, I feel like another movie you'd still hear their voices and stuff or like when the the, the when the fucking uh, foot is getting sawed off and it's just completely silent because it's outside the window and it's just so much more impactful than if you were hearing the screams and hearing the the sawing and stuff i mean yeah it's cool stuff like that that there's no score. There's no score over the sawing of no. the foot. It's just no. them. That, yeah. I mean, that's what really gets you. Yeah. It's just the key, key, key. I mean, he takes his time. Yeah, he does. And yeah. I think that's just more part of the cruelty. <laughs> Which, yeah, like, like we could also talk about, you know, quote unquote torture porn genre and stuff. Because, because whenever people bring that shit up, like they usually bring up this, this is movie, the one. like, yeah. like, oh, this is kind of the kickoff almost of it. I guess some people would say. Oh, really? I always hear people talking about Hostel. Well, when ho- Hostel was inspired well, yeah, by Hostel this movie. Hostel was way oh, later. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, and Eli Roth is a huge fan of of Mike in this movie and stuff. I mean. So yeah, but this, but like what what we've been, what we've been talking about up to this point, like this had a point, you know. There was a yeah. method to the madness. Whereas, you know, I mean, I I love Hostel for different reasons than I love Audition, but you know, I uh, I don't uh, think we're supposed to see the torture in this movie as a spectacle that's like oh awesome, like we would in Hostel. Well, are you supposed to say oh awesome in Hostel? I mean, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think here it's more nuanced. I would argue that. I th- well, yeah, yeah, but in Hostel, you're supposed to, you know, be like, yeah, fucking kill those. Uh, those it's stupid like you look bit American. Well, you tourists. were the one saying fucking but, saw but that no, no. Yeah, 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 you, know, you in got this off movie, on it. You know, <laughs> I mean, shit. Yeah, I mean, in Hostel, it's like you look forward to Jason Voorhees cutting off the horny teenagers' heads, even though those are our protagonists. Friday the Thirteenth, mm-hmm. you mean? Uh, yeah, I, I mean. As an example, oh, oh, like oh, right, for right. just whether it's torture porn or teen horror or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there was this whole like socio political uh, theme and hostile of like these rich guys like uh, hiring these, uh, uh, you know, just wanting to kill stuff. So, I mean, because they had nothing else to, to get off on. I mean, there was a point trying to be made, but then people take the genre and be like, oh, well, no one gives a shit about that. They're just buying tickets to go see these people get fucked up in different ways. Well, it's both, right? Because if all the victims evaded the torture, people would be like, what was the point of that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's I'm kind it's of, both. That's it's what both. I'm presenting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All let's right. let's talk about the more of the lampooning male fantasy because this is let's one of the it. reasons why I thought this movie was so funny. So, the one of the funniest things about this is that Aoyama, no, sorry, Asami, is just so ideal through like this kind of perverse male fantasy lens that it's funny. So. First of all, she's always wearing white. You know, she's like a fucking angel. She's so wounded. She's so introspective and thoughtful. She's always meek and subversive, apparently completely oblivious to how attractive she is. You know, she and then even um, Aoyama says that she's obedient. Um, she was a ballet prodigy who got in an accident. Now Aoyama, a widowed man with a good house, a good family, and a good job, has someone to save. And... She's like a beautiful damsel in distress, and just seeing even that 
and even like baiting like male viewers to kind of also fall in love with this girl and then also and then just to have that then be completely destroyed is kind of fucking hilarious. <laughs> I yeah, agree. Yeah. He's trying to white knight her, but she doesn't she doesn't need that. Yeah. Oh, I love how in, in just to put this uh to emphasize this point when they go on the vacation she doesn't want to talk. She doesn't want to talk about the local restaurants or things to do in the area. She just wants sex <laughs> now. You know, he tries to talk about all the cool things to do in the area, and all she's interested in doing is getting undressed. <laughs> um, yeah, I just fucking love this movie. Well, so do, do, do you think that she had already decided to kill her, kill him at that point? It's it's an interesting question. It's not really clear. I don't think she decides until she sees the housekeeper go out of his house, right? That's the moment where she's like, and then she like sees that he's got all these other women. He's got a former wife. He's got all these other people that. Wait, are when does she life. find that out? When does she? She's see like the stalking his house, and she sees the housekeeper leave, and then she goes into the house. And it's just her POV of it. Like you don't see her, but you see someone enter the house and then see the photo, and then it ends on the oh, on the whiskey. Yeah. I totally missed that. Yeah, because I was always unsure of where the line was where how much is she doing this because of men abusing their power in the entertainment industry and how much is she doing this because she just is wants to be the only one that he loves radically. I mean, she says she wants to be the only one that he loves. She can't. She doesn't want to be. Well, she with... says both, right, yeah. <laughs> in that last scene. Um, so let's talk about what Tommy was saying about whether this guy deserves it or not. And I think that perspective is definitely something that's pretty interesting to bring up in this film. Because you can imagine a version of the movie in which we see it from her perspective and the film producer is villainized and he's like a mustache twirling asshole. But, I mean, we see it from his perspective and for the most part he's just like a love-struck, good, innocent guy. I mean, he even regrets yeah. doing the audition. He says, like... It feels criminal to be mm -hmm. doing this, and he even shows remorse, which, you know, obviously doesn't absolve him entirely. I think it makes but... him worse, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it doesn't do that. And actually, so I was reading this article called Pain Threshold, the cinema of Takashi Miike. I did not write down the author. Fuck me. But he said in an interview that uh, there's been an erosion in the patriarchal norm. He said that women are striking out, gaining independent employment, and that men wish for the situation to reverse. So with that in mind, it almost seems like a super paranoid fantasy um, when it's kind of making fun of men's fear of this shift in society. Mm -hmm. And is that, I think it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. yeah. No. You know, this guy is, he thinks that he can control these women. He thinks that, like, she'll be his perfect little wife and like that's not that's not okay <laughs> i mean this is i <laughs> i mean it's definitely <laughs> the just I, I don't think we're supposed to look at the thing the torture at the end like that's some sort of justice i yeah i don't think it's like i don't think it's one-sided i want to say yeah. that but i do think he deserves it and worse like no, i don't think He's just as bad as everybody else. He's just he's even worse because he he just goes along with it. He's just a sheep to the other 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 quote unquote worst characters. But getting both of your feet sawed off and having un, undeniable pain or unimaginable pain after what he put this poor woman through. Uh, what an audition yeah and free dinner <laughs> such a guy you're such a guy i'm a guy i guess i mean what's another movie uh, i'm thinking like like fargo or something where it's just like a 
seemingly harmless prank gone wrong, and then you get the this worst comeumpus. So, this okay, is not in, a harmless in, prank. Oh, that's, but, but that's so the thing is that, is that it's obviously clearly not, but but. It, it evolves from oh well, what could the worst could, could happen? You know, it's just me and my 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 boy. We're gonna they're never gonna know, and then it's like oh shit. You he's know? treating these women as pawns in his right. own like I, elaborate. I'm just saying in in their world, if you're in his perspective, <laughs> mm-hmm. it like starts off as this thing, and then it, it, well, yeah, it snowballs. I, like I, it's I, one of those movies I where think you're it's being like, a little bit overzealous about this. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's well, because, I see where you're coming from. I think you're it's because, because we, we, we can <laughs> say that things are wrong without saying that people deserve to be tortured. <laughs> No, he I mean, I'm sure you would. What is worse? Whatever. He only got he only got one foot taken off. His I mean, balls. One and a half. half. With one and a half. Okay, one and a half. Um. All right. So <laughs> <laughs> there is something kind of like meta about this point that's interesting. Is that like just the fact that for the movie audition that. Takashi Miike and all his producers got all these women to just like mm. come in and like some of them like get topless and like take off their uh, shirts and yeah, stuff that's so like that weird. for them. Yeah. Why? It's like a what, casting what, couch type thing. It's like, yeah. What world do you live in is that weird? That's the way, that's been normal for tens of years. I mean, I don't know. Did you believe that you would wake up this morning and everything would be perfect? Like, <laughs> I mean, yes, it's fucked up, but I mean, there is a reality. What, are, what, what was their audition for where they were like, oh, you have to do, you know, handstands and also maybe take off your top? Like, what was the, what was the criteria? within the yeah, movie? Yeah, within the movie. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's just like pure, like Hollywood people yes. abusing their powers that they can literally just, I mean, I mean, well, this isn't Hollywood, but whatever the Japanese equivalent of Hollywood is. But yeah, I mean, that's like a common myth that these people, I mean, when you are selling yourself, when you're an mm-hmm. actor or an actress and, you know, I mean, I guess it would be hard to convince me, but I guess you could convince somebody that like, oh, well, we need to be completely intimately aware with your entire person if we're going to be putting a 50 millimeter lens in front of you or something. <laughs> I don't know. That, I think you'd have to be a stunt double or something, or like a body double for that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, nobody said that actors mm-hmm. and actresses were smart. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, at the same time, I bet you that there are a whole bunch of other people that see this movie and take the exact opposite reading, and that reading being, bitches be crazy. Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> that's what I said at the beginning, is that it's yeah. about a psychotic person that you uh, just but, got tangled but, up but, with but accidentally. You're, but you're saying that he's totally guilty, he's and totally he's guilty. definitely guilty of something. I don't know if it is. He just hides it better. Like, we see into his mind where he's just having sex, or he's fantasizing about all these different oh, see, women. I think that that, I don't think that's supposed to be a condemning thing. I think that's just mm-hmm. like the male I think sociopathology. It's... Like, I, I think that we're not supposed to see during that whole sequence where it's like uh, this kind of like pain-induced psychedelic something that we're seeing, I think that we're just meant to believe that this is... I don't think it's supposed to be this is an admission of guilt. Like, look at him. He's a pervert. He thinks about other women. I think we're just supposed to say that, yeah, all women think about a lot of... Or all men think about a lot of women. Mm -hmm. Including their son's girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I, I do All think right. so. Then yes. it's a condemnation of you know this sort of male patriarch system. I but I'm not saying that it's We're, necessarily I mean, I a they're... part of like a patriarchal system so much as it is just like their subconscious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I I think it's an indictment. Like, because, 
you know, there's you get all these women in front of them, and they're literally there, like just with their hopes and dreams. Like I, you know, here I'm coming here to make it, you know. And he's just over there, like like flippantly, like trying to get get laid, you know. So that's the indictment. Yeah, is, it's is, totally is yeah. the yeah inappropriate it, abuse of power. Exactly, there's no one is denying that. Right. <laughs> I will, to my grave, say that that person should not deserve their to have feet their sawed feet off, sawed with, off. The, with the piano wire. You sick fuck. Yeah, you are the sick fuck, man. I mean, that guy. Yeah, like sure, he he deserves. Something. To topple the system, you got to take a couple feet every now and then. Is I don't, all I'm saying. Uh, well, then we'll need to see audition two to see if the system <laughs> yeah, yeah. has in fact be toppled. And spoiler, it hasn't. That's right, because you get your neck broken at the end of it. <laughs> um, all right, do you want to do our Mike top fives? Oh yeah, let's unless do there's it. anything else you guys want to bring up. The only thing I want to bring up is that the Raptors are down at the top of the th- uh, bottom of the third quarter in the uh, fifth game of the finals. Oh, okay. So, Is this a uh, uh, sport you're referring to? Uh, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm assuming we're talking about basketball. All right, and back to movies. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah, Mike Top 5. Go, I mean, this go is number Jared. one for me. Number two This is... one is number one for you, Audition? Yeah. Oh, wow. I All need right. to see Itchy the Killer again because I've only seen it once, and I don't remember loving it. But number two is, have you ever seen Gozu? Uh, yeah. yeah, I've seen, seen it a while there. back. Yeah, that's one of the yeah, earlier yeah. ones, dude. That's a, I fucking that's a messed up movie. That's a messed up movie. I fucking <laughs> love that one. Um, Thirteen Assassins is definitely somewhere there. I mean, it's just such a well-made action movie. Uh, let's see, what else have I seen? We got Ninja Kids. We got Thirteen Assassins. We got Yatterman. Uh, Fudo, The Last Hope is really fucked up, mm. but I remember liking that. The Bird People of China. Haven't seen that one. Oh, you got to see Bird People. That, of China. that one's a straight Ezo. drama, right? Uh, yeah, three three extremes. I mean, it's a it's a Mika yeah. straight drama, but uh, um, oh, happiness of the Katakuris I have yeah. seen that movie. That movie. I was gonna, gonna say, bring that one up as a sleeper, too, baby. Yeah. Damn it, that movie's always good. That one's so good. <laughs> <laughs> anyone? 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 Uh, I I would say those are in the five for me because I don't. It'd be definitely one audition, two Gozu, three probably thirteen assassins, four happiness of the Katakuris, and five. Um, of Fudo. Have okay. we said dead, al- dead or Alive? Oh, also, shit. Also dead or Alive. Have yeah. you seen all of them? I've only seen, I the, first I've only seen the first one. I've seen the first one. I've seen the first two, but uh, uh, I mean, the first one's where it's at. But yeah. Do they do the same shtick with the second one in terms of just doing a pretty straight face thing for most of the movie? and then It's going... way different. It's way different? Yeah. You should still see it. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to go number one. Visitor Q. Everyone needs to see <laughs> Visitor Q. Okay. See, I need to see that again because I couldn't get over just the shock value of it. <laughs> number two, Happiness of the Katakaras. Uh, then I'm going to go number three, Ichi the Killer. Uh, number four, I'm going to go Ninja Kids. Mm. All right. And then number five, uh, 13 Assassins. So, okay. Tommy? Wait a minute. I didn't put Audition in there. I'm sorry. I, audition will probably kick out. Uh, uh, we'll be above Ninja, Ninja Kids. Ninja Which was... Kids will be la- last then. Okay. Yeah, I would probably go with like Audition as as my top pick, I think. And then 13 Assassins, and then Ichi the Killer, and then um Dead or Alive, maybe Full Metal Yakuza, somewhere oh. something around those those lines. Man, I'm trying to remember if I've seen Full Metal Yakuza. I feel like I haven't thought about that title in a while. <laughs> um that's a good list. That is a good list. Wow. Well, Takashi Miike, you are a gentleman and a scholar, and we love you, and you're a real filmmaker's filmmaker. And, you know, during all those J-horror remakes that were pretty big in the early 2000s, I was surprised that 
that this wasn't one of them. That audition wasn't one of them. Well, no, it's it was impos- supposed to be. Was- I think it's impossible to remake. Like, well, how would you remake this movie? It's such a slow burn. Like, I can't think of another movie that's like this, where for the first two thirds you think it's a totally different movie, and then it pulls the rug out from under you two thirds of the way through. That's a hard sell. Yeah, Mike had a quote too. He was like, he was like, yeah, I, I would love to see America make remake any of my movies because I have no fucking clue what they would do. Basically, is what he said. There have been a lot of Asian remakes that have not been very successful. Like, did you ever see My Sassy Girl, the Korean movie? What that is was, My Sassy Girl? It was like a Korean uh, movie that was very. Lo- it's a very long film, and it was actually based off of like a internet thread that then got optioned and turned into a movie that is. Uh, it's very funny. It's a really good movie. But then it got remade with the same title uh, with um, – what's the name of the actress in, like, The Born Supremacy? She's, like, the blonde. It's she plays Julia like, Stiles? It is Julia okay. Stiles. Yeah, it, with Julia <laughs> Stiles in it. Uh, and that did not translate at all. And the movie's really bad. But anyway, we're going to go into the mailbag. So first we're going to go through some voicemails. Uh, if you want to send us a voicemail with thoughts, comments, concerns, if you got mad love for Takashi Miike like we do, hit us up at 213-534-8807. That's 21-ELF-GUT or ELF-HUT-07. All right, everyone. We're going to go with Anders from Her. Anders, what you got to say about Her? What up, Wisecrack? Anders here. Uh, just finished listening to the Her podcast and had a couple things I just wanted to point out to you guys that you might find interesting. So if you're talking about finding a historical figure whose ideas got corrupted and just totally used for the opposite. Uh, I would recommend checking out an episode of the Dollop podcast, the history podcast. They did an episode recently on Elizabeth Mengi, who invented a game called the Landlord's Game uh, that was designed to teach kids about the dangers of unfettered individual greed and capitalism and ultimately lived to see it evolve into what we all now play as Monopoly. And then if you're still curious about the whereabouts of Lucy Liu, I just want to point out that since 2012, she has been playing Dr. Watson on CBS's Elementary. Uh, it's their Sherlock Holmes show and just started season seven. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Cool. Nice. I don't remember what we were talking about that uh, was talking about historical figures that whose works had been perverted. I don't Something want... about in her, apparently. Huh. Maybe we were talking about Alan Watts or something like that. Well, anyway, that's super interesting. I'll definitely check out that podcast. Thank you. Cool. Let's go to the next one. Thank you, Anders, not Anders. And here we go, Dominic, about John Wick. What's cracking, Wisecrack? This is Dominic calling from beautiful Portland, Oregon, in regard to the John Wick podcast. Now, I know you guys were had a couple questions about where the Elder may have come from, kind of the history behind him. And I just got done with the movie, and I got done with the podcast as well. And I'm of the impression, or at least I have a feeling it might be the case that the Elder might be a direct descendant of the Hashashin, uh, potentially even maybe the first member of the Hashashin. Now, um, Braun, I forget the guy's name, you know, he's Braun in Game of Thrones. He makes reference to them uh, eating hashish. And then when you see the Elder, he's got a hookah next to him, which, you know, could potentially be used to smoke Hashish, um, plus there's kind of the relation there. So anyways, just a little tidbit I thought might shed some light on the Elder. Uh, interested to see what you guys think. Uh, keep doing what you do. Thanks. Yeah, I think he's probably right. So there's that uh, that book, Alamut, that is about 
Uh, it's about basically the creation of like you know the term assassin and the first assassins. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy, but he was a real life Ismaili prince who. Um, now the the book is a fictionalized account of it, but I think he probably is supposed to be some kind of vague reference to that tradition of the origin of the term assassin hmm. and how because the, the book is about how he would use hash to convince these people. Uh, he would give them hash and then he would take them to like these gardens slash brothels and convince them that this was heaven and he would do that in order to convince them that he needed they needed to fight and die for him because this is what laid beyond the grave or something like that. Nice. And so uh, I think he's probably right that he's supposed to be just some sort of like vague, at least now, because we don't know, maybe they'll talk more about him in in uh, installations for and hopefully beyond, but it's probably supposed to be some like vague visual and historical reference to that. I still wish that they had made it more clear the kind of the elder's place in the whole thing. Or I wish he would have been way more elder than he was. <laughs> he was pretty he was a pretty young he was dude. A right? young elder dude. Yeah. He should have been like hundred and ten or something. Like, I am the first assassin and I'm here in the desert. You know, something like that. Yeah, he's definitely not the first one, but he might be the descendant of one. But but so th- but but this guy is the most I mean, it seems like if you're the mo- the head of this assassin gang, you're the you're the most po- powerful guy in the world. You're like president level, you know. Yeah. Is that the guy in the desert? We kind of never I, really figured that out. I think you're supposed to assume it is, but I agree. He, like I, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, he's the stand-in for whoever is the big bad or right. whoever's the one. The Wizard you know, of Oz. Yeah, the Wizard of Oz. Character, but yeah. they never really set that up that he's like a you know a spokesperson for or a mouthpiece for this. I mean, it's the- just very like he's it. The way that the the John Wick world building works is, I think they're always gonna they're, yeah. be able to yeah. cont- append different things. Yeah, they, on they and deliberately just keep make it murky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll Which never like. see the 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 council or whatever that the adjudicator works for. Oh, well, I, I, I think, think they have to. I think in four, that's it. Yeah, yeah. They're, he's gonna have to bring that whole thing down. Right. But then there's gonna be somebody above them that he. Well, right. But I, I when I saw that was watching the movie, I was like, oh, he's going. They're going to the council, but no, they're going to the elder. Who has nothing? Who is who's part above of the, the council? Who's above the council? Is, is this, when are they going to go to the council? Why haven't we seen the council? Is this series about John Wick destroying the order that you know controls the assassins? So this he's is literally, a series is about a man and his dog. It's That's a revenge, we're, motherfucker. We're way, we're way past that ah. now. <laughs> yeah. All right. What do we got next? Okay, we got um, Joe. Wanted to talk about eighth grade. Hey, Wisecrack. This is Joe from Rosemount, Minnesota. And I'm just calling in regards to the eighth grade podcast. I, I heard you say something that was, you know, pretty spot on for the most part, which is that growing up with social media is harder for, you know, girls than it is boys. But I'd actually differ and say that it's fairly even. I mean, I remember growing up being a little anxious over the way that I portrayed myself on social media. You know, was I one of the boys? I don't know. And especially looking at other guys in my grade that were really able to portray that, you know, boys group and be part of the cool guys. You know, it was tough to put off that image. That's all I have to say. Love your content, guys. Thanks. You know, we had like the birth of social media when I was a kid. Did you guys, or when I was in middle school, we had like Zanga. You guys remember that shit? No, I don't remember. It was like early MySpace. We had AOL. I'm sorry, keep going. Oh, yeah, but, like, even AOL, like, you had, like, a profile. Like, if you clicked on your screen name, there was, like, a profile or, like, like yeah. a description yeah. or something yeah. like that. Did you guys get anxious about that? Oh, yeah. I mean, 
I'm totally, I mean, the, you can't really evaluate. Yeah. The, uh, boys and girls are different. People have this, both have problems when they're growing up, you know. Life so is hard. Life is hard. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. I can see it being you, you, just different pressures, you know, for different folks. But, like, I mean, I can't imagine, you know. F- we got off easy. If, if I had to freak is, out about how many Instagram followers I had when I was in middle school, and I was really impressionable. I cared a lot about popularity back then, man. I had, like, fucking slicked forward hair with the cowlick, like all that douchebag stuff. I, I was into <laughs> it, man. And, uh, if there was Instagram the and, and I had and I evaluated my self worth based on how many Instagram followers I had, that would have been real bad for me. Yeah, yeah. I am so glad I was born the exact year I was born, nineteen eighty six. We had, <laughs> we were had a few years of the analog. Then we were when we were old enough to you know we were like oh this this new stuff's coming out and now it's never going to be the same again. And now I think it's cool. Both both I'm glad we got both times. You know. Yeah. Yeah, social media age is cool, but I'm glad I didn't grow up in it. You'll never hear me say the kids have it easy. I, I <laughs> no, don't, I don't believe it's that. hard. No. I, and the worst thing is, is that I feel like, like you know, every, every old generation is like, oh, I can't really relate to the young, you know, to, to you, basically, to the younger generation. But now I feel like it's going to be like that on crack because it's like I really can't relate to having needing Instagram followers when I'm nine or whatever yep. the fuck, however old you are, <laughs> whenever that starts happening. So yeah, that's just a whole other thing. Yeah, your life being online, you know. Yeah. All right, let's do one more. All right, one more. What do we got here? Kyle wants to talk about her. Let's go, Kyle. Hey guys, this is Kyle calling. I just got done listening to the Her podcast, and I had an immediate thought that nobody really touched on, and I thought it was kind of weird. The two women, the initial one who wants to be the surrogate between Samantha and Theo's relationship, and the second woman who is just really into settling down right now. You know, I'll have sex with whoever, but you have to be committed to me. I thought this was a bigger commentary on the grander loneliness of the world and the weird double standard. Um, he goes, I'm dating an OS, and his receptionist goes, oh, yeah, cool, whatever. But every woman that he meets, with the exception of his wife, who pretty quickly finds another relationship, is, desperate to get into something and i think that it has a lot to do with the fact that the world does not play these things as unnecessary or needed but that they are so important that you compromise the things you want in place of the things you need so while you might want to build a relationship over time it's probably easier to just go please add me to your relationship or please commit to me right now Whereas this is the standard for women in this world where they have to be in a relationship. For men, if they just date their OS, it's like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. That's cool. You guys have a good one. I just thought I'd bring it up later. Was yeah, that Logan? On. No, that was, uh, uh, I'm sorry. That was Kyle. Oh, Kyle. Thank you, Kyle. Yeah, I think that Kyle is right. I mean, I think loneliness is just saturated through like every frame of this movie and like there's not a character on the screen that isn't lonely Uh, well and and i would say not even just lonely but they are but like unable to express themselves in a way that that only happens once you've you know your whole life you've been saturated in convenience and just not having to really have to go socialize with people and you can get you know play video games social media whatever you know the world of of her basically Mm -hmm. uh uh uh, yeah it's it's loneliness mixed with the pressure the social pressures that he's talking about yeah yeah 
What do you think of that movie? Her? You like it? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. whatever. I feel yeah. like it's I fine. I really love that movie. I'm not, I've seen it once, and then I would... Yeah, I didn't really like it the back, first time, you know? but I... Grew to like it more the second time. But mm-hmm. it's not my favorite Spike Jones movie at all. All right, we're going to go into the mailbag. Uh, movies at wisecrack.co. Send us an email with questions, comments. You like to geek out about Takashi Miike like we do. Send us your top five. Yeah, I want to Yeah, I want to hear everyone's top five. Because I have Mike certainly not seen any of them. I probably haven't. I've probably seen one of his new movies in the last five years. And I'm sure he's made at least 20. That's the thing. Yeah. I say I call myself a Miike lover. I mean, I've probably seen 30 of his movies of his 104. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's less than half. Yeah. Who am I? I'm not a <laughs> Miike lover. I? Yeah. I'm a real. fucking fraud, poser. <laughs> All right, we got something from Ken. This is about John Wick 3. He says, I think the reason why John cuts off his finger is because assassins cut off their ring finger to show loyalty to their organization. Mm. At least they do in Assassin's Creed. Having the leader of the high table be a descendant of the Order of Assassins makes sense, too. Yeah, this is uh, just like what uh, Anders brought up. And uh, he says, I might be wrong, but that's what I think is going on in the scene. I think that's pretty safe to assume. Well, well wait, uh, why do why would if you're an assassin you do that for loyalty? Seems like that's a stupid thing. To wait, do. well, wasn't it his ring finger? So it's kind of yeah, I think like, it was his like his left hand. So it wasn't like his shooting hand, I guess, or something like well, that. Well, because it was it was his ring finger, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. So he's like giving up his wife for the the memory like, of his wife. Like, like my loyalty for, is to no other yes. human being. My loyalty is. I'm to I'm a the good order. soccer player. I want to show loyalty to the, to the club and cut off my foot. Yeah. Uh, no. Well, no, that would be if he cut off his trigger finger, but yeah, he didn't. He did, yeah. But you use your hands every day if you're an assassin, you know? But he's already so good that they're like, you can, Seems you can lose Seems the like finger. unnecessary yeah, I... hazing <laughs> in, within the assassin community that should be looked into. I know, but, dude, he's got a fucking business of assassins to run, and this guy fucked up your business, and you're not going to let him just go without losing a finger. you got to make sure he knows that there are consequences, man. I guess. To be I fair, guess. that didn't really work, though. Yeah, I mean, he he turned on <laughs> turned on them like two two scenes later. <laughs> yeah, it was a waste of a finger. <laughs> I wonder what the elder thinks about what John Wick did to the adjudicator. I wonder if yeah. Anyway. John Wick has nothing to lose. He doesn't give a fuck. He just needs one finger to <laughs> kill everybody. Yeah, all he needs is a finger, one finger, and one dog, <laughs> and one bullet and one gun, and he can somehow line all of their heads up and kill everyone in town. Looking forward to it. He's also got his bare hands, even if there's only one finger That's on true. it. Anyway, uh, this one's next from Emilio. He says. You guys haven't talked about Minority Report yet, and I was wondering what you guys think about it. I think it has good material to analyze, and it was also one of my favorite movies because of the well-accomplished sci-fi action. What do you guys think about Minority Report? I love that love movie. That movie. Yeah. That's a great Spielberg movie. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's a great Tom Cruise movie. It's great. Uh, I remember seeing it like three times in theaters. Oh, wow. That's a yeah, lot. But I don't think I've seen it since then. But that was back in the day where, you know, growing up in Houston where it was like 100 degrees like every, like for eight months out of the year. There's nothing better air conditioned to do than go to the movies. And it was only like $5 <laughs> at that time. So, yeah, I went to see movies multiple times. There's nothing better to do. I love okay. that movie. I definitely remember I was young enough to where the, the precogs confused the shit out of me. <laughs> mm. You know, I'm like, like today I feel like you could make the same movie without that. You could make it like like somehow computers know that you're gonna mm-hmm. do a crime you know what i mean but like i remember being like wait how are those they're psychics but they're alien kind of like i don't know it was i i like it now but yeah anyway all right this one is from i'm gonna fuck this up alamu anyway he says dear wisecrack i think you guys struck a great chord when you mentioned this is about her theodore's uh, robotness and samantha's humanity the film begins with a lonely Theodore who spends his time seeking out melancholy songs, avidly looking at pornographic images, 
and by playing time consuming, unfulfilling video games. All this makes it apparent that Theodore's life is at a standstill. He additionally shows his trouble with articulating his wants and needs as he struggles through the questions of setting up his AI. By contrast, Samantha explains that what makes me is my ability to grow through my experiences just like you. This is this could be what Spike Jones thinks is the essence of humanity. Theodore, in the beginning of the film, seems to have issues with this. Parentheses, get over the divorce, dude. All this leads me to wonder if Spike's critique in the film is not so much of relationships with robots, but of living in a society where all your needs are so easily fulfilled, leaving people somewhat diminished. That's all I have to say. Let me know what you think. Yeah, I think that... I think one of the points that we brought up in the podcast is that, like, yeah, when society, algorithms, whatever, just make your life so darn convenient, why even deal with something that is quite difficult, a relationship? Yeah. Why bother? Why bother? Why bother, man? Life is hard. Why you gotta, yeah, just Hmm. heap on more hard things. (laughs) All right. um, Amen, brother. This last one is from Jake. He says, hey, I loved all your insights on eighth grade. Have some thoughts regarding the discussion of the film's rating and who the intended audience is. Bo's interpretation of social media today is absolutely razor sharp. This in itself is worth applause. The story characters and moral undertones are icing on the cake. However, I'm more curious about how the next generation of audiences will view this movie. The film captures such a specific moment in the ever-evolving world of social media that it seems like it could be a drastically different film if it had been made either a few years earlier or later. Not that I think this film will age poorly, but I'm curious to see if the impact on future audiences will be diminished as they grow up in completely different or unforeseen social media landscapes. Would love to hear your thoughts. I don't I don't think so. I think, you know, being feeling awkward and feeling alone is sort of a universal feeling. Like I look sure. at, you know, Welcome to Dollhouse. I don't think I think that movie still holds up and I, I would argue oh, that is the that is the precursor for 8th grade. And well, is he saying it doesn't hold up? I mean, uh, uh, or is that going to be what kids are going through in a couple of years that are in eighth grade? I think kids will always be going through, you know, not feeling accepted and feeling alone. V- whatever, you know, device they're using, I think that sort of existential angst is always the same. And But I think one thing is that in the next 10 years, how much will this whole thing about social media as a public health crisis, like how much will that be adopted universally if it's a thing where in 10 years we talk about social media like we talk about the tobacco companies then we might Mm. look back on this movie and say yeah man this movie was an early indicator of something that we then came to all understand or something like that i think it's going to be the reverse i think it's going to be like oh that was the beginning that was the seeds of the monster that it eventually turned into i mean i think it's gonna only get more interactive in weirder ways that are we can't even think about right now but can you yep. imagine if because i remember when i was in elementary school we had teachers talking about you know showing us videos on why tobacco was bad or dare right. you but know that whatever. like is physically yeah like physically sure, see sure. black but lung I'm, yeah. sure yeah. i'm just i mean i'm not saying that i think this is going to happen but there is a potential future where imagine uh, you know a teacher wheeling up a vhs machine i guess maybe i'm showing my age but <laughs> wheeling up like a dvd slash blu-ray player and making you watch eighth grade so you understand <laughs> the harmful effects of social so, media <laughs> we've gone back we've reverted back to a vhs wheeling society <laughs> hey man the schools are not well funded <laughs> <laughs> i i do think that there's something to uh you know there's all these studies on screen time like act like Mm. the chemistry in your brain if you like are looking at a screen for so many hours a day when you're really young like if that changes i I can see them like in a there being some monumental study that later on we go wait you could not have your kid looking at that shit for that long 
time you yeah. know, when they're growing up. You know, so I can see that, but like in terms of like what they're doing on there, I think it's just going to get stupider and, you know, like all things. What do you mean I, stupider? I mean, I think that 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 right now it's like like all pretty new, but but I think that that kids are going to like I was saying before, that's just going to be more interactive in weirder ways. They're going to be like in class, you know, and just the, the, the ability to connect with anybody on the planet at any given moment when you're fucking six or seven, you know, is going to lead to weird shit when you're growing up, you know, it, like, like, you're, you know. So if anything, I you're saying the like, movie might feel dated because Oh, it's... it'll feel dated. Yeah. Like, you know, when I was like 13 or 14 or whatever, you know, and like Goatsy and stuff came out or Meat Spin, you know, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no. Dude, okay. It's like, they're famous just shock oh, uh, images oh, on memes. the internet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like, okay. you know, like, like, or, or I, I know what Meat Spin Fecal is. Japan or something. Look all these up, everybody. <laughs> Dude, this, this podcast, yeah. we've told them to consume so much fucked up shit, Visitor Q and all that. Yeah, but I'm just saying that, you know, like, like that all came out, like, I, I was seeing these really, like, disgusting images, like Rotten.com or whatever, you know, when oh. I was, like, 13, 14, 15, it was fucked up then, but, like, you know, I'm, I'm saying that, like, kids are going to be, like, seeing, like, hardcore pornography from, like, before they can have memories, you know, they're like, oh, doesn't that like, make they, you grow as a person? Doesn't that? Hey, <laughs> you know, in my opinion, yeah, the earlier the better. But like, 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 I'm just kidding. But, but uh, uh, that, that came out wrong. I meant like, 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 I feel like the more exposed. I wish I'd been able to watch rated R movies when I was way younger. Like when I'm, when you are younger, you want to be able to do that. You know what I mean? Do I think that everyone should be watching hardcore pornography when they're four? No, no, definitively not. <laughs> You know, but but like when you're a kid, you want to, you know, so that's the thing is that is that you're going to be getting into all this shit. You have access to all this shit and then you have all the social pressures and then you have everyone telling you that the fact that you have it is fucked up. You know, you're going to be looking into it and it's going to change people. I mean, in weird ways that we can't uh, fathom right now or calculate. And I'm just uh, along for the ride, I guess. See, I don't, so you don't. So this is how I see it. The Internet right now is basically the beginning of red dead 2 it's the wild west yeah but right now the pinkertons so in red dead 2 the pinkertons which is basically the detective agency that the government basically has hired to just take care of everybody just everyone who is doing something uncouth everyone who's in a gang just put a bullet in their head <laughs> and i feel like that we are entering that stage of the internet where the pinkertons are coming and they're cleaning shit up and i think that there's a possible future of the internet where it's highly regulated I could see that happening, but there's always going to be the wild. There's always going to be the black market of of info on the web. You know. Oh there's, sure, but like never right, right now, we literally that. live in a time where a four year old. There's nothing stopping a four year old from typing in www.pornhub.com. There will never there, be. That's not true. They, I mean, they could do like like how they have smart guns. They could have smart phones that literally like like a a four year old finger cannot. Press enter on Pornhub.com. They could do something like that. <laughs> okay, yeah, I could, yeah. I mean, Maybe who in, knows? In, in the not-so-distant future, but I feel it. Like, I don't know. I mean, the UK, that. they're already doing this. I mean, not not that sophisticated, but you literally have to type in your passport number to go on Pornhub. Well, in China, you know, it's like you have your social credit system and stuff. Oh, yeah, I well, mean, that's a whole other nightmare. Right. Yeah. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and sign off. Thanks, guys, for listening. Thank you for joining us on this deranged Takashi Miike adventure. I really hope that we can do more of his movies in the future. Um, send us an email. Send us a voicemail. But before we go, where can we find you guys on the Internet, Ryan? <laughs> you can find me on the Internet at Ryan Shorts. Every week we got 
hilarious comedy on there. We're going to be wrapping up Ryan's game show soon. Mm-hmm. I'm moving out of the garage. It's a sad day for everyone, but a new era begins in a different garage. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> oh, we'll find a garage. Wait, so you don't live in a garage right now? No, no, no. I'm oh, not okay. living in a garage right now. Okay. All right, I'm pissed about it too. I'm living in a smaller room. My garage is, in my opinion, better than the smaller room I'm paying way more for. The garages are spacious, man. The garages are spacious, you know, way better. Anyway, yeah. Ryan's Tom- game show, Ryan Shorts. Look it up, Tommy. And you can find me on Twitter at, at tcook4949. Cool. All right, signing off, guys. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace. Goodbye from Hollywood, California. Bye, film fans. <laughs>